Hello. There we go. Um, so, yeah, my name's Tim. Hello, nice to see you. Uh, I have the wonderful privilege of being on team here. Um, and I, with a bunch of, of my mates, lead the youth. Um, and it's, it's fun. And it's a right laugh. Um, and some of them are over here, and some of them are somewhere else. Um, but uh, one, of the, one of the wonderful things that we get to do as a team, as family, is um, we run this thing called Friday Night Youth in Schoolhouse Cafe in Cheltenham. And um, we basically have been doing it since September, and we've been seeing lots of young people, those that know Jesus, those that don't, um, come into our midst and, and kind of get to know us a little bit, and we've got, got to know them. And um, we had the amazing story, didn't we, on Friday. I'm looking over here because Naomi, who's on team over here, is nodding to agree just to make sure that I say the right things. But one of the young people that has been with us since September, um, from a completely unchurched background, doesn't know Jesus, um, gave their life to Jesus on Friday. Um, so it's, it's great. So God, God is on the move. Um, now, for those of us that drive, what I'd love you to do for the next 30 seconds is chat to someone nearby you and tell them what your first car was and why it is no longer your first car. And if um, you're below the age of 17 or you can't drive but would love to, um, why don't you chat about for 30 seconds what you'd love your first car to be. Go, 30 seconds, over to you. Okay, okay. So um, I'm sure there's a plethora of, of cars out there from Ford Cortinas to Porsche 911s. Um, this was my first car, thank you, Hudson. Come on, step into my ride. Nissan Micra, first car, 17 years old. Ferrari Red, check out the alloys. Hello. Um, £500 this beauty cost me, and um, it is no longer my car because, uh, because of me, basically. Um, after maybe three months of having the car, um, I was driving home from college and it was raining and I was freezing cold, and so I was trying to fiddle with the heating and make, you know, make the aircon, not aircon, trying to work, and what I didn't see was the car in front of me had stopped. Nice Jaguar, went into the back of that. We managed to repair it though, so all was well. And then a, a few months later, I had, a, I had a text from a friend. He was like, dude, we're, we're getting together like, to you know, come around my house. And, and he lived about 10 miles away. So we were like, great. So I got into my car all, all excited and just, and just went. And maybe like five miles down the road, the car just came to a complete stop. And the thing that I did in that moment was not call AA, but call my dad in an emergency. And I was like, Dad, Dad, my car's just like stopped. Like, I don't know what's going on. Like, it won't start again. I think my car's broken. And my dad, being logical as he is, was like, you got any petrol in the car, Tim? <laughs> no, Dad, I haven't got any petrol. <laughs> Do you want me to bring you petrol, Tim? 
Yes, Dad, bring me some petrol. So he brought me some petrol and I got to my friend's house and it was all good. Um, But the final nail in the coffin, as it were, was I was driving home from college, probably literally another three months later. And I was driving home and and all was well. The car had started normally, it was fine. And then this light, red light, came on my dashboard and it was the oil light. And I thought, oh, well, there's a petrol station nearby. I'll just drive to the nearest petrol station and it will be fine. Apart from what I didn't realise was that an oil light isn't like a petrol light. It doesn't warn you to let you know you're running out. It warns you to let you know you've run out. And so what happened was my car came to a complete stop and it wouldn't start again. And the engine had seized and I had ruined my first car. I know. But I ignored the warning signs. I, I didn't pay attention to what mattered. I paid attention to myself. I was, I was too excited to get to my mate's house. I thought I didn't even check the petrol light. I, I, was, I, was too, um, I paid too much attention to my own naivety, my, my own ignorance. And, and that's got me thinking about us uh, as a community in this 21st century world. What, what do we get distracted by? Why don't we pay attention? Some of it's external distractions. Some of it's the mess in the kitchen that's been left by your uni housemate. There's a shameful face here. Maybe, maybe it's just the noisy neighbours. Maybe you are the noisy neighbours. Um, maybe it's just interruptions from others as you're trying to do work, but you can't pay attention to what matters. Maybe for some of us in the room, it's the internal distractions that play havoc on our lives. Maybe it's the thoughts that we constantly think over and over and over again as we catastrophize things that are happening in our life. Maybe it's unresolved conflicts in family or relationships that keep us distracted from paying attention to what matters. Maybe it's persistent worries. But the question I just want to pose to us tonight is is what happens when we pay attention to the things that matter? What happens when we pay attention to the things that matter? In a moment, we're going to be spending some time in in our teaching text tonight, Daniel 3. Um, But before we do, I'd love to pray for us. Is that okay? Great. Let's, Let's pray. Lord, help us. Amen. It's a prayer. It's a prayer. Um, so in a, in a few moments, I've got a few, few of my um, good friends coming to help me read the scripture. So if you're one of those four people, be prepared. Um, I will call you up um, in a moment. But just before we get to it, uh, I just want to give a bit of context to what we're reading tonight. And, and we're reading Daniel 3. And in Daniel 3, we come across this place called Babylon. And if you've not heard about Babylon, I just want to talk about that for a moment before we read. Um, The other week, um, I was 30 years old. I know, I don't look it. Hello. Um, But uh, my wonderful wife arranged a trip to London and we went to see School of Rock. Who's seen School of Rock at stage show? Isn't it good? So good, right? And there's loads of good stuff about School of Rock. But the one thing that I always get fascinated by when I watch a play is the stage set. And I, and I think it's so creative how the stage managers create this setting that kind of helps you understand where the characters are and, and where they're at in life. And I think for you and me, when we think about the places that we live, the, the schools that we're a part of, the universities that we're a part of, we think that they, they are like um, a stage set to the drama that is called our life, within which that we are the stars of the show. And what I mean by that is that we think that the setting that we live in 
doesn't really have any impact on the decisions that we make. That it doesn't really have any impact on, on the, the fears that we have. It doesn't really have any impact on the hopes that we might have, the relationships that we, that we engage in. But I want to suggest that actually the society that we live in, the schools that we're a part of, the universities that we go to, the jobs that we work in, they are less stage set and more a character in the drama that is your life. And, and that character has an impact upon the choices that we make. It has an impact on the fears that we have. It has an impact upon the hopes that we carry. And in our story, we come across this place called Babylon. And yes, it's a setting. Yes, it's a place. But I want to merely suggest to us tonight that it is much more a character in the story that we're playing. And it's a character of Babylon that, that in this stage show of, of our, of our the life that we're about to read, it's an antagonist, and it's against the way of Jesus. So that's the first thing to remember. The second thing I wanted to look at really briefly is that character's nature. At the beginning of Daniel, um, we learn that the Jewish elite were captured and forced to live in a foreign region. Um, and after suffering military defeat by the army of Babylon, um, they, they, were, they were captured. But that wasn't the end. That wasn't the end of Babylon's conquest. No, no, no. Because they weren't happy with that. What they wanted to do was they had a campaign to eradicate every sign of their captives' identity that pointed towards the way of Jesus. And so they, it, it, they tried giving them new names. They tried making them eat a different diet. In fact, um, in response to that, the, the, the characters in the story in chapter one go vegan. I couldn't do that. Anyone on Veganuary? Well done. Come on, keep going. There are only three days left or however long. But, but Babylon wasn't just content uh, 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 in, in inhabiting um, lands. It wanted to inhabit hearts. It wanted to inhabit hearts. And the nature of Babylon is corrosive. And it seeks to inhabit, um, inhabit hearts and eradicate any sign of our being that reflects the image of God. Now, what has anything about that got to do with our lives? Well, I just want to suggest this. Now, unlike the Jewish elite, we, we haven't been taken captive by a foreign nation. And we don't have a foreign empire knocking on our door. However, I want to suggest that many of us are still held captive if a literal Babylon were around today, um, I think the internet would be in the arsenal of weapons. And um, if you've only got to watch the great hack on Netflix to understand and to see that there's some evidence points towards that nations are using our data, our attention, to um, inform and persuade political outterm, out outcomes in their own land um, and further advance their own agendas. So no, we don't live in a literal Babylon, but where we do live is in digital Babylon. We live in a digital Babylon. Now this may seem extreme, but here's the point. In a digital Babylon, the king is not Nebuchadnezzar, as we will read, but is the screen. And the screen demands our attention. It demands our attention. And yes, the screens inform and they connect, but also they distract and entertain. And through the presence of screens, Babylon's pride, power, prestige, um, and pleasure seeks to conquer and inhabit our hearts. And as, Bob Bab Babylon, 
as Babylon strangles our hearts, we become suffocated by the fear of missing out, the fear of making the wrong decision, the fear of letting people down that are close to us, and the fear of living a substandard life. And slowly but surely, the spirit and nature of digital Babylon corrodes our hearts and eradicates any sign of our being that seeks to point towards the nature of God. Screens demand our attention. Babylon demands our attention. The question is, friends, will we pay attention? Will we pay attention? So with all that being said and a bit of context, hopefully in the room, we're going to read Daniel 3 um, and we're going to jump in at, um, at verse 12. And my first reader is Will Robotham. Robo, come on, mate. Robo, Robo. So here we go. If you've got a Bible, um, we'd love you to turn to Daniel 3. Um, let me just set it up. Um, we see three men being asked to pay attention to the social norms of Babylon and to bow down to a man-made image, but three men resist. So these three men are um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and um, some people come and grass on our three heroes. Will. Uh, but there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the provenance of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where your gods nor worship the ma- nor worship. No, wait. Well, pay no attention. It's okay. Uh, pay no attention to you. You, your, your Majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Excellent. Thanks, Will. So. The king gives them another chance to resist. They've resisted once, they've been told off, and the king gives them another chance to pay attention to his agenda, but again, they resist. Now, Elliot, you're going to come up, come on, quickly, Elliot, come on, jump, jump, that's it, here we go. So this is the king, Um, he he gives them another chance to pay attention, and Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego give them this incredible speech, just start from king, go for it. Kim Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your God, your yep. gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Excellent. Mic drop. What a speech. What a speech. And the story, the story goes on, right? And they're thrown into this fiery furnace that burns so hot that it kills the soldiers that are taking them to this fire. But whilst they're in there, a fourth person shows up in the fire. Someone who Nebuchadnezzar recognizes as, in his words, son of the gods. And they're protected. And so, Sam, you're going to come and read the next bit. Come on, Sam. And then, Seri, be prepared. Where are you? Great. Uh, So Sam's going to come up and read this next bit. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Amazing. Thanks, Sam. And then, in an amazing turnaround, 
King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made a golden image to make everyone bow down to, and the consequence of not doing that was basically death. Um, Seri, you're going to come forward and read the next bit. Come, come up. Um, this is what King Nebuchadnezzar, in a huge turnaround, then says. Thank you, Seri. Praise to be God of Shadrach, Meshka, and Abednego, who has sent his angels and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any other god except their own. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshka, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can, be sa- can save in this way. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Seri, and all my readers. Excellent. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego changed the character and nature of Babylon. Perhaps not Nebuchadnezzar. He seem, still seems a bit like a madman. Um, but they do it by pay, paying attention to God. They do it by paying attention to God. And when Babylon demands their attention, they paid no attention. And they weren't distracted by the demands of their Babylon. They weren't distracted by the consequences of their actions. And they weren't distracted by the possibility of their God not saving them. They weren't distracted because they were attentive to who God was and is, who he called them to be, and how he called them to live. They paid attention So what? What does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? When I was young, um, we used to go on holiday to uh, Woolacombe. Anyone been to Woolacombe? Come on. It's the the golden coast of the UK, isn't it? Look at that place. That is Woolacombe Beach. And um, we used to, because our family um, had a dog, we weren't at the Woolacombe end. We were at Putsborough end, which is the other end where you can see sort of the land bit. And we were there, and I was, I was desperate to go into the sea because the waves looked rad. And I loved to bodyboard, right? And so I was begging my mom and dad. I was like, please, mom, dad, can I go into the sea? I just want to bodyboard, man. I want to feel the waves. And my dad was like, look, Tim, if... Sorry, Melissa's looks shocked, but here we go. Um, it's my drama, not GCSE, coming out. So anyway, um, we, I, my dad said to me, Tim, you can go into the sea... Um, on one condition. I was like, yes, Dad, what's the one condition? He's like, you do not take your eyes off where we are camped, where, where we are on the beach. Do not take your eyes. I was like, yeah, fine. I won't take my eyes off of you, Dad. I won't do it. So I ran on my bodyboard and ran like Baywatch into the sea. And I was loving it. I must have been there about an hour, absolutely loving life. And I was enjoying myself and I was catching some waves and, you know, some seawater swallowing that and all that jazz. And I came out of the sea and I was like so excited to tell my dad about all the things that I'd done and all the waves that I'd caught. And, he, and he, what I was greeted with was just anger and frustration and, and relief. And what I'd not realised was that by paying attention to myself and my enjoyment and what I thought was really good, I hadn't been watching my dad. And I drifted. The riptide took me a mile down the coast. And they were this close to calling the coast car because they thought they'd lost me. They thought they'd lost me. My dad was worried sick because he thought that he'd lost me. 
This whole talk, when I was I accidentally read that I was meant to be read, uh, speaking, it was meant to be Andrew, but it ended up being me, um, is called Stepping Out. Um, and if I'm honest, I read Daniel 3 and I notice something. I notice that I lack the stories and the experiences in my own walk with God that I see in this chapter. I lack it. I do. And I want them. I wish that I could stand here and tell you story after story after story of how I've seen the incredible hand of God provide for me in the most miraculous ways. But I can't. And I don't want to do that because you get to glorify me, but because I know that it would raise faith in the room. But I, but I can't. And I wish I could. And, and therein, I think, lies a warning to, to us, to me, like on the dashboard of our lives. And the warning is this, that, that, that I, I want and I seek the ministry impact of Jesus. I long for it. But there's a danger in longing for that without spending time to be with Jesus. So yes, we need to step out, for sure. But I think we need to learn to step in first, before we step out. I know I do. I know I do. And it would be, guess, it would be my guess that I'm not alone in the room, because um, and I'm coming into land now. Um, in recent study, um, a typical, it, was, it was found that a typical 15 to 23-year-old spends 2,767 hours consuming screen media. We're in digital Babylon. Now, there are a total 8,760 hours in a year. Okay? Now, who's ready for some quick math? All right, here we go. I've got B in GCSE, so I hope it goes well. Now, if we all sleep on average eight hours a night, that's eight hours times 365 days a year, that leaves us, um, that's about 2,920 hours, so that leaves us with about 5,840 hours left to play with, okay? Now, let's say we all work on average eight hours a day, five days a week, so that's like a 40-hour week on average, okay? Um, so 40 hours times 52 weeks equals 2,080 hours. So if we take 5,840 hours minus the 2,080 that we work, we're left with about 3,760 uh, 3, hours, okay? Give or take. But actually, good news, friends, we gain some hours because don't forget the bank holidays and the annual leave that we all get, right? <laughs> so that's about 28, 28 days of annual leave, including bank holidays. So we times that by eight hours. That gives us 224 hours. We add that to the 3,760 hours that we had, and what we're left with is 3,984 3, hours of spare time, of which um, we spend, according to this study of 15 to 23 year olds, we spend 69.4% of our free time consuming screen media. Whoa! Who feels sick? So I, I know that I live a distracted life. We live a distracted life. And I just want to suggest that distraction leads to a disillusioned life. If we, if we want the experience and, and the stories that we see in Daniel 3, I think we need to pay attention to the things that matter, to the person that matters. John Tyson, who's a pastor in America, uh, in a brilliant talk that you can watch on YouTube, says this. He says, attention is the doorway to encounter. And so we need to pay attention to our attention. 
And so just to finish, I just want to offer one way in which I'm learning to do this, to pay attention and to, and to invite God to increase my attention of his awareness. And it's called the prayer of examine. And there's five really simple steps. Here they are. And if you're taking notes, maybe you want to note these down. But the, the first one is we become aware of God's presence. And so we just invite God and we thank you for his presence wherever we are in the moment, in the day. And then we invite the Holy Spirit to, to help us to review um, the day with gratitude and to notice moments that come to our minds and we thank God for those. And then, ooh, ooh. Uh, oh, there we go. Sorry. And then the third one is we, we pay attention to our emotions. What, what are we pleased about? What are we sad about? What are we, what are we upset about? What are we hopeful for? And then we just choose one feature of the day and we pray from it. Very simple. And then finally, we just look forward to tomorrow and we invite God again to, to increase our awareness of him in our day. It's a very, very simple thing. Um, but here's, here's, as I conclude, just a closing statement. And Jamie, wherever you are, come, come up, friend. Jamie Chapman. Wow. It's like I'm in panto. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were able to step out um, because they had stepped in. Um, when Babylon demanded their attention, they paid no attention, and instead they paid attention to what mattered. They paid attention to who God is, who he called them to be, and how he called them to live. And if you, like me, want to live a life that is punctuated by stepping out, then, then friends, I think we need to step in first and pay attention to God. So two questions and then I'll pray. First one, will we pay attention to who God is, how he's invited us to live our lives, and who he's called us to be? And finally, will we resist the demands of our digital Babylon and instead pay attention to what really matters? Let me pray for us. Um, Jamie is going to, and Becky, hello Becky, you're going to sing a song and, and um, the invitation is um, to stand up if, if you can, if you'd like to, and we're going to sing the refrain of Good Good Father and, and I'm just going to pray for us and then Jamie and the guys are just going to lead us and, and the invitation is just to use this time to reflect or to join in with the worship. So let me pray. Please stand if you'd like to, if you can. Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you promise to be with us. Thank you that you long for us to pay attention to you. And God, you're a good, good father. And you love us unconditionally. And so, Lord, we want to use these words to remind ourselves of who you are and who we are in light of you. Amen.